The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. In Matthew 24, 3, the disciples asked Jesus, What will be the sign of your coming and the completion of the age? And Jesus answered, As the days of Noah were, so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man. Before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. They seemed to be totally oblivious to the coming catastrophe until the flood washed them away. So also, Jesus warned, human conditions will be the same when he returns. These are the new days of Noah. Hello, I'm Christine Dorick. We live in a world of competing ideas and contrary worldviews. In an increasingly globalized and interconnected world, Christians are being influenced by disparate views more than ever. But just how much have contrary worldviews crept into the perspectives of Christians? Well, new research shows that only 17% of Christians who consider their faith important and who regularly attend church, actually hold a Bible, a biblical worldview. So if Christians are opening themselves up to non-biblical perspectives, what are they believing? I want to mention a few of the findings among practicing Christians revealed by a new Barna Group nonpartisan study published in America this month. It said that 61% of practicing Christians agree with ideas rooted in new spirituality. 54 resonate with postmodernist views, and 36% of practicing Christians accept ideas associated with Marxism. 29% believed in ideas based on secularism. This widespread influence upon Christian thinking is evident not only among competing worldviews, but even among competing religions. For example, nearly 4 in 10 in the study, that's 38% of practicing Christians, said they're sympathetic to some Muslim teachings. Actually, it's no surprise that the apostasy, the great falling away, predicted for the last days in the Bible is already happening. According to that survey, millennials and Generation Xers who came of age in a less Christianized society are in some cases up to eight times more likely to accept non-biblical views than the baby boomer generation and the elders. And the same is true of gender. Males are generally more open to these worldviews than women, often, the survey said, at a two-to-one ratio. Another trend is that Americans who live in cities, often melting pots of ideas and cultures, are more accepting of these views than those who live in suburban or rural areas. Well, the disciples asked the Lord what would be the sign of His coming. And the word for coming, by the way, in the New Testament is parousia. 
Vine's Word Dictionary of the Greek New Testament defines parousia as literally presence. For example, in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul spoke of his parousia, his presence in Philippi, in contrast to his absence. The same word parousia is used to describe the presence of the Lord with his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now concerning his parousia, his coming, the Lord made a prediction. He said, as the days of Noah, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. What are the similarities between our times and the days of Noah? Well, the Bible says in Noah's day, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Life was just business as usual until suddenly the catastrophic flood swept everybody away except for Noah and his family who were safe in the ark, which is a type of being safe in Jesus. You may say eating, drinking, weddings. These are all legitimate, normal activities. They're part and parcel of life. But eating, drinking, and marrying are not life's primary goals for a believer. And that's the problem. Too many people, even those in the churches, live to eat and drink and set their hearts on marriage and finding a marriage partner as if that's the be-all and end-all of life. That's a mistake. Think today how many times some people get married, even churchgoers. Some movie stars marry and divorce five, six, seven times. Jesus said, just as in the days of Noah, so also conditions will be the same at the time of his coming again. People will be just as careless and secular as in Noah's time. Many churchgoers are worldly and care more about marriage and finding love than loving the Lord's appearing. The majority of the people will be materialistic, super occupied with the cares of this present world, too absorbed in secularism and not mindful of spiritual realities. Another characteristic of the days of Noah was violence. In Genesis 6.13, God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people on the earth because it's filled with their violence. Just as in the days of Noah, the earth is filled with violence again today. And yet, strangely, people don't seem to be concerned about the eternal welfare of their souls. They even mock such religious concepts as the second coming. But suddenly, just as Noah entered into the safety of the ark, the Lord will descend with a shout, with a shofar of God, and the dead and Messiah will arise. And those who are alive, who are looking for him, will also rise to meet the Lord in the air. But many will be left behind to go through tribulation, as in the days of Noah. At that time, Jesus said, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. There's a third example in Luke chapter 17. Jesus said, two will be sleeping in a bed. One will be taken and the other left. So when we combine these verses, we can conclude that when the Lord comes, some will be working in the daytime and some will be resting in the nighttime. This proves the author of the Bible knew the world is round. While one side of the earth is dark, the other side is in daylight. 
when the Lord appears, some will be working and some will be sleeping, depending upon what time zone you live in. In Bible days, grinding at the mill was morning's work. Working in the fields was daytime work. The point is, the Lord will collect his own from all the world's time zones. Now, the Lord also said in Matthew 24 that he's coming unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Jesus said, watch therefore, for you don't know at what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, if the owner of the house had known what hour the thief would break in, he would have watched and wouldn't have allowed his house to be burgled. Therefore, you also be ready, Jesus said, for he's coming on an hour that we don't really expect. Now, what does a thief steal? Rubbish or treasures? Garbage or precious jewels? Thieves don't want junk. They search the house for treasures. And the Lord said he's coming like a thief. The thief always breaks in secretly without notice, unexpectedly, and you don't know he's come until it's too late. The place has been ransacked and the treasures are missing. So likewise, Jesus will snatch the good stuff, the earth's treasures, loyal souls. And a thief disguises himself to be invisible, to blend in with the night. The thief's mission is secret. Nobody knows what's happened until it's too late. The ones who'll be taken are the precious jewels of the kingdom, people often despised by the world. We have to read these verses in Matthew 24 in their context. The one that's left is one who hasn't been waiting and watching for the Lord. If you love the Lord's appearing, you can lie down at night and sleep soundly because when he comes, don't worry. Even if you're experiencing deep REM sleep, you'll be taken. If you're working in the field, you'll also be taken. But you'll be taken if you happen to be dreaming in the night. Meanwhile, the Lord has charged us to occupy this world, to labor in his harvest fields until he comes. Work your fingers to the bone in the harvest field because you shall be taken. We are to live productive lives in the light of his soon appearing. The Lord of the harvest doesn't want us staring up into the sky being lazy. The Lord knows who's praying and he knows who's watching. He knows who's earnestly waiting for him. And he knows how to make a difference between those who love his appearing and serve him and those professing believers who are actually only concerned about the cares of this world, who've tragically grown comfortable by embracing non-biblical alternative worldviews. Well, Jesus went on to ask in Matthew chapter 24, who then is the faithful and wise servant? And by contrast, he said, an evil servant says in his heart, my master's coming has been delayed. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. That's another reference to eating and drinking as a main center of activity. The master of that evil servant will come on a day when he's not watching and at an unexpected hour. And Jesus says he'll cut him off and apportion him with the hypocrites where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very sobering words indeed. 
You see, the evil servant was a professing believer at one time, but had grown careless, belligerent, and indulgent, assuming that the Lord's coming was way off in the future. But I want to assure you, the signs are all around us in the nation of Israel and elsewhere. And the Lord could come at any moment. Throughout the history of the church, even in the days of the early church, believers hoped that Jesus would come in their lifetime. He may appear at any moment, but he will come first as a thief to snatch the precious jewels from the earth. The Lord's coming, his parousia, is sometimes called, popularly, the rapture. Rapture is a word from the Latin Vulgate Bible, meaning to seize. The equivalent words in English are take up, caught up, to catch up, to seize. These are the words you'll find in the English Bible for the concept of the rapture. The New Testament Greek word hapartso means snatched away or caught up. And hapartso is the word used, for example, in Acts chapter 8, when Philip preached Messiah to the Ethiopian eunuch, and then after the eunuch was baptized, suddenly Philip was snatched away. Philip literally disappeared off the scene and was transported elsewhere. The same word for snatch, harpazo, is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul described his experience of being caught up to the third heaven. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, harpazo is the word that describes how believers will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord at His parousia, at His presence, at His coming. But I want you to know whether we're snatched, caught up, or received, true believers should have the spirit of rapture, meaning that we should be earnestly longing for the bridegroom's coming. After all, what bride doesn't want to be present with her husband. The Lord is present with us now by His Holy Spirit, yet we also want, we crave His physical presence. Do you miss the Lord? Do, do you long to see Him? Or do you talk the way I hear even some preachers talk, as if the Lord may return hundreds of years from now, as if His coming is an event way off in the distant future? But Hebrews 9.28 is a key verse that says the Lord will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. In other words, He will appear for those who are eagerly yearning and looking for Him to return. You see, the Lord promised even before He left that He will come back to receive us to Himself. And the Lord knows who has the spirit of rapture and who doesn't have the spirit of rapture. The Lord knows who's yearning and who's yawning. The question remains, are we likely to be taken? Luke 21, 36 is another very important verse which says, Jesus speaking, Be watching at all times, therefore, and praying that you will be worthy to escape from these things which are going to occur and to stand before the Son of Man. So we can't be too cocky. When the Lord appears, there are going to be some big surprises as to who's taken and who's left. It doesn't matter so much whether you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture or the 
post-tribulation rapture? What's important is that you believe the Lord is coming and that you're carefully watching for His appearing and that you love the promise of His appearing. If you don't love the promise of His appearing, that means you're not ready for Him to come and you're not purifying yourself. It means you may not be taken because you don't have a genuine longing and preparation in your heart to see the Lord. Your nonchalant attitude demonstrates that you're too immersed in the cares of this world. To know the Lord and to love His appearing is the true path of wisdom. Rapture is simply the longing of the heart of the Lord for His bride and the bride for the bridegroom. If we don't have the spirit of rapture, something is spiritually wrong. Otherwise, we're lukewarm and spiritually in trouble. I hope you can see that. The spirit of rapture cries, Maranatha. Maranatha is a Greek New Testament word meaning, May our Lord come. It means that even though you're laboring in the harvest fields for the Lord, your heart yearns for His appearing and your heart is already joined with the Lord. You're in the earth, He's in heaven, but your heart is there with Him while you patiently labor in the harvest fields and patiently grind at the mill, watching for His appearing. It's important not to be so earthbound that when the Lord comes, it's impossible to uproot us. If we're too heavy, loaded down with the cares of this world, how can we fly away? Are we so rooted to this earth that we can't be snatched up in the twinkling of an eye? Or are we like Lot's wife in the book of Genesis? Do you remember that story? She looked back longingly at the city where Lot and his family were escaping, Sodom and Gomorrah. But she, because she looked back, was turned into a pillar of salt. Is our heart already in heaven? Do we have the spirit of rapture? Many of my friends do, but also many of my friends and relatives don't have the spirit of rapture, and that's troubling. We need to know how to accurately handle this word of truth concerning the end times. You see, there are beginning signs, and then there's an end sign with many signs in between such as the rebuilding of the Jewish temple and the manifestation of the lawless one called the Antichrist. But we believers aren't supposed to be looking for the Antichrist. We're supposed to be looking for the parousia, the sudden presence of the Lord Jesus from heaven. The beginning signs of the end times are the restoration of Israel and then the snatching away, the translation of the prepared saints by the Lord. You see, one day soon, at a very unexpected time, just as Jesus said, suddenly all over the world in every time zone, prepared believers who are looking for His presence will disappear when He comes. They'll be snatched away by the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, Yeshua. When this happens, the church age, the fullness of the Gentiles will be completed. And the parousia, the coming of the Lord, has happened. So far as I and many Bible scholars understand, there's no prophecy that must be fulfilled before the parousia can happen. 
Of course, there are other prophecies that must be fulfilled concerning the second coming of Jesus to rule physically on earth, but I can't find any Bible prophecy that must be fulfilled before the parousia can happen. It's an any moment event. And that's why Jesus said we must watch and pray. Now there is a definite last sign before the second coming of the King of Kings to put his feet on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And it's found in Matthew 24, 30. Jesus said, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the land mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's the last sign. Every eye will behold him. But the beginning sign, the parousia, known popularly as the rapture, will trigger everything else. At the appearing of the Lord, the dead members of the body of Messiah will be resurrected. And then the living members of the true universal church will be caught up together in the clouds from all time zones to be with the Lord. After this, the time of the great tribulation will begin and God will save all Israel out of the tribulation period. Now I want to give you some of the scriptures concerning the parousia, the coming of the Lord. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. It's an important verse because there Paul said that the believers had turned from idols to serve the living God. And now they were awaiting his son from the heavens to deliver them from the wrath to come. In the great uh, chapter about the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. And here Paul is describing the resurrection of the dead and Messiah. And also, when the living members of the body of Messiah are raptured or translated and changed instantly into immortal beings without death. Also, Revelation 3.10 is an important verse. It says, Jesus speaking, If you keep the word of my patience, I will keep you out of the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole earth. You see, one day soon the Lord will come like a thief without notice, without prior warning, and he will steal the precious souls from every time zone. Then on earth, Satan will test men's hearts with his two beasts, the Antichrist and the false prophet. It'll be a time of great trial. Jesus said that this generation would not pass away until all of these things take place. Could it be the generation that sees all of these things, plus the Jewish people being back in their own land, is this generation? The question is, are you ready for the coming of the Lord when he comes as a thief in the night to take his bride, the true believers, to the marriage supper of the Lamb that's called in the Bible the snatching away, or in layman's terms, the rapture? If we're wise, we don't want to be left behind because this world will become the domain for a short period of a Machiavellian figure called the Antichrist. Well, there have always been false Christs in this world, but the final Antichrist will require all people to take a number. 
and to give him unswerving loyalty, resulting, the Bible says, in eternal damnation if his mark is taken. So this is the hour to believe the good news that God sent Jesus to save us from God's wrath. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you're willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says you shall be saved. That's the good news of the Bible. And I have some more good news. Did you know in 2 Timothy 4.8, those who love the Lord's appearing are promised a crown of righteousness as an eternal reward? I think it's perhaps the easiest crown to obtain because it's won by desire, by loving the Lord's appearing. Well, I'd like to bring my thoughts to a conclusion by pointing out that I discovered in the book of Revelation that Jesus testified at least five times, Behold, I'm coming soon. So whose testimony are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the mockers and the scoffers who will say that he's not coming? Or are you going to believe the King of the universe, the Lord Jesus, the Son of David? I've settled the matter in my heart. And I believe all the signposts point to the fact that he's coming very soon. The question remains, are you ready for the sudden appearance of the Lord in the atmosphere? If you're afraid or not sure, now is the time to get sure. How can we be ready? It's just so important not to delay your surrender to the Lordship of Jesus so that when he comes, he appears as your bridegroom and savior and not as your judge. You can't save yourself, the church. Mary and all the saints can't save you. Only the savior, Jesus, is sanctioned by God to save you. And this is the key. The Bible teaches in Romans 10, 9, that if you're willing to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Believe this and dare to surrender today to the Lordship of Jesus. Oh Lord, how we praise and thank you that you promised to come back and receive us to yourself. We want to tell the Lord how sorry we are that because we haven't been ready, we've delayed his coming. We do love him and want to see him face to face. So we cry out to the Father. We say, do create within our hearts a longing and a strong desire to see the Lord's appearing. We cry out to be restored to our first love that we may be those who hasten the return of Jesus. Amen. Well, dear friends, in the meantime, keep looking up and keep doing the exploits of the Lord in the harvest fields. No matter what time zone you're in, when he appears, you'll be snatched to be with him forever. The fellowship of like-minded believers is a precious strengthener in these last days. And so I want to invite you to stay in touch through the social media and by visiting our website at exploits.tv where you can click online to receive our electronic newsletter, Exploits. Also at our website, all of our previous videos are available for viewing around the clock, as well as an archive of spiritual articles on end-time topics. 
We also post prayer points twice a week at our website that will help you to be an effective watchman on the walls of Jerusalem. And so, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. The Apostle Paul gave us the inspiring imagery of running a good race in life, much as these 3,000 participants in the annual Jerusalem Marathon. Lots of things are happening these days in Israel's ancient capital, and we're here with the Jerusalem Channel to keep you informed of the fast-paced events and news through our daily website updates and regular video reports and biblical teachings. To continue this viewer-supported ministry, we need your help. Please become a part of the Jerusalem Channel by donating. Just click the Donate button on our website to give by credit or debit card. You can also donate by check to our U.S. address or our U.K. post office box. We're here to anticipate that one day soon we'll witness thousands running joyfully through the streets of the Holy City to welcome King Messiah.